1: This is Start Making Sense, the weekly podcast of The Nation magazine, and I'm John Weiner. Now it's time to talk about politics after Trump's defeat on the wall and the shutdown. For that, we turn to Harold Meyerson. He's executive editor of The American Prospect and a contributor to the L.A. Times op-ed page. Harold, welcome back.
0: Always good to be here, John.
1: Well, there was a feeling of triumph uh, on the left after Trump caved. Nancy Pelosi, of course, gets a lot of credit, but there are other candidates as well. Some say it was Robert Mueller for arresting Roger Stone that morning. Trump caved about five hours after that. Some say, have told me, it was the threat of the flight attendants to strike, which was page one news the morning that Trump surrendered. Who do you think deserves the credit?
0: Well, all of the above, and I would add uh, the air traffic controllers who uh, stayed out of their Northeast regional headquarters. It didn't take a lot of them. Apparently, 13 were supposed to report for work, and six of them said, uh, The hell with this, we're going on a sick out. Now, this is hugely ironic. This is kind of a bookend because the real precipitous decline of American labor began in 1981 when Ronald Reagan fired uh, all of the air traffic controllers who would dare to go on strike. At the time, this was the only union that had endorsed him over uh, Jimmy Carter in the 1980 election. He fired all the air traffic controllers who belonged to a union called PATCO, and this uh, essentially uh, encouraged private sector corporate executives to fire their striking workers and it, it it all but ended major outbreaks of strikes in the united states until just the last year and this was in a sense the air traffic controllers getting their revenge because by not reporting to work now it's illegal for them to strike uh, that that's why the patco union was busted in nineteen eighty one but by not reporting to work they managed to shut down LaGuardia airport so that alone upset so many business travelers that Republican members of the Senate and the House were getting very uneasy. And uh, I'm sure there were people on, on on Trump's staff who said, okay, that's that's the straw that, bro- that broke the camel's back. I'd like to think, though, this was kind of the bookend nearly 40 years later to what happened to air traffic controllers then and air traffic controllers sticking it to another ridiculous president now.
1: Now we have a conference conference committee working on some kind of compromise on funding for border security. These senators and representatives are used to splitting the difference. They, lots of money gets spent on a lot of stupid things by conference committees. So it seems to me they're probably ready to come up with something for Trump's wall. Or or am I wrong about the conference committee now? Well,
0: I don't think any of the Democrats are going to endorse a wall. Uh, I think they're going to uh, support, and that, in fact the Democrats already do support spending on the border for things like more immigration judges, maybe some steel barriers. Who knows? You know, they may come up with uh, with something like that. Uh, I don't think some of the Republicans on the committee <coughs> are as wedded to the wall as uh, as Trump is. But I I think there's a decent chance that whatever they come up with, if it has no wall in it, Trump will say no and then just declare a national emergency. I think he may see that as the only way to hold and win back his admittedly shrinking base.
1: And you don't think he'll try to shut down the government uh, again if he doesn't get... F- I don't.
0: I think the Republicans in the Senate, having looked at the polling and seeing his polling go down and their polling go down, and the general revulsion at this, I don't think they'll go along with it. It's quite possible the votes would be there to override a Trump veto.
1: I have a question for you. For two years, the Republicans controlled both houses of Congress. During those two years, the Republicans refused to pay for even one mile of Trump's wall. They did a lot of other things he wanted, but they didn't do that. How come they stood up to him on that one?
0: Well, they probably didn't think it, uh, it made any sense, which, in fact, it, it does not. I mean, uh, the, the I don't know if the metaphor is invoked that often. But it's very easy to see this. Even if you're hysterical about the border, it's very easy to see this is just uh, the Maginot Line. I mean, building a piece of ugly, outmoded technology that really won't stop it won't stop immigration. And and more to the point, since you know Trump is concerned about drugs coming in on the border, and we know that ninety percent of the drugs coming in on the border come in through the checkpoints, it's it's uh, an irrelevant expenditure of uh, of funds. So. It's not as if left to their own devices, even congressional Republicans are even remotely hot
1: about the wall. One more thing about the border. The New York Times had a fascinating report about the actual work of the Border Patrol. Seems like a very unpopular job. Customs and Border Protection allocated $61 million to a private management consulting firm called Accenture Federal Services to recruit and hire 7,500 new Border Patrol officers over the next five years. This was one of Trump's big things, more Border Patrol agents. The company, which is supposed to hire 7,500, has hired only 33 And during the same period, thousands of Border Patrol agents have quit. Why is it so hard to get people to protect our country from all those Mexican rapists and drug dealers?
0: Well, you know, I mean, if you want to take an optimistic view of human nature, it could be that people don't want to get a job, which requires separating very small children from their parents. Yeah. Uh, That's one point. Uh, Point two is that uh, the economy is doing rather well and it's not that hard to get a better job somewhere else. The, and point three, as you, uh, I think, imply with your questions, there is no emergency on the border. I mean, you know, when there's a national emergency, say Pearl Harbor, millions of people uh, flock to uh, recruitment stations. When there is no national emergency and there isn't, uh, you shouldn't expect there's going to be a response.
1: You say the economy is doing well. The Congressional Budget Office says the shutdown cost the economy $11 billion, $3 billion lost permanently. How do they come up with that kind of number, and do you think it's correct?
0: Clearly, there was uh, work that didn't get done that needed to be done, and uh, yeah, I, mean, I think they uh, they tallied that. There are all kinds of lost opportunities when the government isn't open to do things it should be doing and may have to do it later at greater cost You know, to the economy as a whole there's certainly a loss in purchasing power not only of the uh, 800,000 uh, federal workers and their uh, who weren't paid and their families and the 4 million contract workers who didn't get paid and their families and then you're probably talking about 15 maybe 20 million people who lose purchasing power so that is a real hit to the american economy it would be if if you took 15 million people uh, 20 million people f- from any sector out of the economy and uh, curtail their purchasing power for a month, uh, you would get a decline in in the economy. There's no question of that.
1: One last thing. There's a new Washington Post poll that shows that a third of Republican voters would rather vote for someone else for the Republican nomination in 2020. What do you make of that?
0: Well, I think Trump is beginning uh, to lose Republican support beyond the rather small coterie of never-Trumpers, which was confined to a small wing of, of, of columnists and others within the Republican Party. He's not only uh, you know, the most bizarre character to occupy the White House uh, since Lord knows when, but, but he isn't really delivering on his ridiculous promises. I mean, Mexico's not paying for the wall. He's not building the wall. So even if you support the wall, you're beginning to have have some questions. Uh, Ron Brownstein did a breakdown, uh, had CNN do a further breakdown of uh, uh, Trump's white working class support and those who defected to voting Democratic in 2018. And he found out that uh, Trump has been losing support in the Republican base, with the exception of evangelicals, who are the major component of the Republican Party in the American South but uh, less so around the country. However, if you look at, you know, uh, that, that poll, that, that suggests that Trump would still win the Republican nomination. 33, uh, you know, a third, a third of the Republican Party is not enough to deny him the nomination, but it just would further add to his, I think, already severe uh, re-election problems in 2020.
1: Harold Meyerson of The American Prospect. Read him at prospect.org. Thank you, Harold. Always great to have you on the show. Always great to be here, John. You've been listening to Start Making Sense, the weekly podcast of The Nation magazine. You can hear more interviews like this one at thenation.com, and you can subscribe to Start Making Sense at iTunes Podcasts, Pocket Casts, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm John Wiener. Thanks for listening.